We're looking at uh, Luke chapter 11, and from verse 7 to verse 13 of the chapter, Jesus' encouragement to us to keep on praying, to keep on praying. One of the highlights that uh, came out of the last job club, which we had here, uh, was a remarkable answer to prayer. One of the ladies in the group had been struggling to get as far as an interview, uh, and all of her applications were just hitting uh, brick walls. She was becoming a bit discouraged. Uh, at the end of the regular part of the meeting, we used to have an, a time when uh, folk could go online and trawl through the various job opportunities and make online applications. Uh, she did this, came across a waitressing job in Glasgow, which caught her attention. Uh, Richard, who was then the job club manager, suggested that he pray uh, about it before sending on the application, so he did. Uh, she pressed the send button. Within 10 minutes, there was a response from the restaurant, and an interview was set up. Uh, everyone, uh, including Richard, it has to be said, was gobsmacked. Uh, here was clearly an answer to prayer. But the striking nature of that simply raises the question, why does God not always answer prayer in that, that way? It would be fantastic, after all, uh, if we could advertise our Coatbridge job club with the, the line, because this is a Christian job club, applications are prayed over and success is divinely guaranteed. Uh, we would be a very popular job club if we could say that. But, as we know, it doesn't work like that. At least it doesn't always work like that. And sometimes we feel that our prayers are getting us nowhere. They don't seem to get beyond the ceiling. And I've had people come to me in various occasions and say, God doesn't answer my prayers. Or even people who are not yet Christians, who are not yet trusting in the Lord Jesus, uh, have been, as it were, setting up a trial, as it were, and they've been praying to God for things to see if God exists. And because God doesn't seem to have answered their prayers, they conclude, well, there can't be a God. The disciples also struggled with prayer. Does that encourage you? It should encourage you. It should encourage you to think that uh, Peter and James and John found prayer difficult at times and they went to Jesus and they asked Jesus to help them and that Jesus did help them. He taught them. He gave them a prayer template to use. Uh, it should encourage us as well that Jesus goes on uh, recognising that there is a, a human temptation in us as his followers to give up on prayer, to think it's not working, to think God's not answering our prayer. And Jesus gives specific encouragement in these verses to us to keep on praying. Uh, and he does it powerfully. Uh, he uses a humorous story. He presses it home. He draws an analogy with earthly fatherhood and he's saying don't stop praying if you have stopped praying start praying again and keep on praying and he tells us specifically 
that we're to pray boldly, that we're to pray perseveringly, and we're to pray confidently. These three things. We're to pray boldly. This first uh, parable that Jesus tells here is one of these wonderful parables, uh, which is, it's so visual, isn't it? Uh, it has, there, there is something quite funny as well in it. It has a, 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 an edge of humour working through it. Uh, here's a guy who's hit a real difficulty. A friend of his has arrived at midnight and there's no food in the house. Now, there's obviously a, a Sky or a Lewis thing going on here because uh, of the lateness of the visiting. Uh, folks in the city don't tend to go visiting friends as, as late on. But even in Sky, this would be an extreme situation for someone to arrive at midnight. But the guy does come at midnight and there's no food in the house. And in a Middle Eastern situation, that's bad news because it's really important in that cultural context to be able to put food on the table before your midnight guest. Friendship equals sharing food. Uh, if he had arrived in a friend in Morningside in Edinburgh, he would have been met with the response, you'll have had your tea. <laughs> but this wasn't Morningside in Edinburgh. This was a place where it would be expected that there would be food provided for him. But there's no fridges in these days. Uh, bread didn't have additives, preservatives in it. It went off quickly. So it's not surprising that the man didn't have any food uh, in the house. And so he excuses himself and he goes down to the village where his friend stays. It's me, he says. Benjamin. Friend has just arrived. I've got no food, and all I need is three loaves. I'm in bed, and I can't get up. Now, at this point, you have to enter into the culture again, and you've got to remind yourself that in these days, uh, often there were no room divisions in a house. The people would maybe be on a sleeping platform. Everybody would be together. So the father and perhaps his nine children or whatever were sleeping like peas in a pod. Uh, for the father to get up and to go and open the door, he's got to scramble over all the kids. And if you've got kids or had kids, you remember what a terrible thing it is, having got them down to sleep, for them to waken up, for one to waken up, and then to trigger off the other eight with his or her crying. It's not something you want to happen. And so uh, the neighbor's response isn't surprising. Don't bother me. Or he would have said it quieter than that. Don't bother me, the doors are locked. The kids are in bed with me. I can't get up. But this man, who's had the unexpected guest, is in a real fix. And so he doesn't give up. I'm still here. I need just three loaves of bread. Go away. Longer pause. Just three loaves of bread and I'll be gone. Go away. 
And so it goes on. More knocking. More telling the guy to go away. And then, eventually, from the sleeping platform in the house, an exasperated sigh. The guy has got up and he's very gingerly stepping over the children to try to ensure they don't get up. He goes down, goes to the bread basket, opens the door, tips the bread onto the table. There you are. Take what you want. Just go away. Go away and let me sleep. Now, the point that Jesus is making here is that there is something in that man's approach that got him his answer. There is something in that man's approach which Jesus said should be in our approach to God that God finds glorifying and will answer. And what it is, is the word that's translated by the NIV at least as his boldness. I tell you, Jesus says, though he will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend, yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. Now, the interesting thing here is that this word boldness in the Greek is actually a negative word. It's a negative word. In fact, if you have an English Standard Version, you'll find there that it translates the word not as boldness, but as impudence. Because of his impudence, he will give him as much as he needs. I think um, the, the idea is communicated by the, the, the phrase shameless boldness or shameless perseverance. And the idea of shamelessness or impudence is in view because God is our great king. And, and the idea of coming to the king of all the earth, the, the king of the universe. You know, if you think about it, there's something you know, at a human level. It's almost impudent to think that we could come to this great God with our requests. But that Jesus says, is glorifying to God. He wants us to have that kind of impudence. It's like someone uh, from this congregation uh, being sent by the deacon's court uh, down to Buckingham Palace with a request on behalf of the congregation, going to the Queen. And somehow or other you get past all the, the, the folk that keep your arms then to get to the Queen's steward, and he asks you what it's all about. And the delegate says, well, it's about the fascia boarding and in uh, the church in Coatbridge. We're wondering if the Queen can help out because we're, we know she's got a lot of property and a lot of money. And you can imagine the kind of response you're going to get from that. You know, the steward is going to look at you, he's going to uh, look uh, and bore into uh, your eye sockets and he's eventually going to say in the poshest of accents, please go away. Please go away. It's shameful. It's shameless boldness, impudence. And Jesus is saying, that glorifies God. When we come to the great king of all the earth in the knowledge that we have a right to do so because he's not only our king, he's our father. That boldness honors him. He will be glad to give you what you ask for. And remember also that uh, though that's the point, our heavenly father is dissimilar in a number of respects from this 
this neighbour. Uh, for one thing, our Heavenly Father never sleeps. We never have to waken him up. And he doesn't have to be cajoled into giving against his will. He's not a reluctant giver. But he is honoured by our impudence, by our shameless boldness. And he will not refuse us all the more when we come to him in a fix. When Paul speaks about the Holy Spirit in the life of the Christian, enabling the Christian to cry out, Abba, Father, the idea is, oh, my little boy who's perhaps fallen and he's cut his knee and his instinctive response is to run to his daddy and cry, Daddy, Daddy. Boldness before the king of kings. Pray boldly, Jesus says. Pray perseveringly. It's very clearly one of the features of the story, one of the lessons that Jesus wishes to communicate that we are to persevere, we are to be persistent in our praying. So I say to you, ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. What's important here is that these commands uh, in the original are in the present tense and that means in Greek that they're ongoing. In other words, Jesus is saying, keep on uh, asking, keep on seeking, keep on Knocking. One of, the, one of the reasons that the Lord wants us to do that is that our persistence in prayer is actually preparing us to receive the blessings that we're asking for. We learn to hunger and thirst for righteousness. There's nothing worse in a Christian life than for us to be satisfied uh, with passing whims. You know, we, we, we go after this, you know, this is the flavour of the month. At this point, and then we kind of give up on it. We, we become weary of it. We move on to some other thing that takes our notion. Why would God be honoured with that kind of whimsical praying? This year we're remembering the 500th anniversary of the greatest ever Scotsman, John Knox. Why did... God do so much through John Knox? It's because he was a man of, of one great prayer. He prayed persistently, prevailing. Lord, give me Scotland or I die. He persevered in that great prayer. And the Lord heard him. Andrew Murray, one of the great writers on, on prayer, uh, in his book, With Christ in the School of Prayer, writes, Intercession is part of faith's training school. There our friendship with men and with God is tested. There it is seen whether my friendship with the needy is so real that I will take time and sacrifice my rest, will go even at midnight and not cease until I have obtained for them what I need. There it's seen whether my friendship with God is so clear that I can depend on him not to turn me away and therefore pray on until he gives. The prayer that God honours is the prayer that doesn't give up. 
when we pray for something and then forget all about it. It shows we either didn't think very much about what we're praying for or we've limited belief in God's power. And neither of these honors God. God wants us to keep on praying. And so Jesus is drawing out our persevering, shameless prayer. And then finally, pray with confidence. Pray with confidence. Pray with boldness. Pray with perseverance. Pray with confidence. Calvin, John Calvin writes, Nothing is better adapted to excite us to pray than a full conviction that we will be heard. Jesus says, Keep on asking and it will be given you. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be opened to you. You can have confidence in answering, in God answering prayer. Where does the confidence come from? It comes from the knowledge that we are welcomed by our Father because we are in the Lord Jesus Christ and we pray in his name. That is why that in instructions and prayer in the Bible, prayer is in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. We have, we have a stake in God, as it were, because of Jesus. We are family. I've shared with you before the, the story that uh, Ronald Dunn uh, tells in his book on prayer, the late Ronald Dunn, about when he had taken the extended family to one of these county fairs that are uh, fairgrounds in, in Scotland, a county fair. He'd gone with uh, four of the Dunn kids and three of their, their cousins, seven of them. He was prepared for an expensive day out. Uh, he had bought a roll of tickets. They were all lining up to go onto a particular stand, the Tilt and Quirl stand or something like that. He doled out a ticket to each one, five, six, seven. Notice that there was a, an eighth hand extended. A wee boy who had attached himself to the Dunn clan. He looked down at the wee boy. He thought to himself, this boy is a chancer. He has attached himself uh, to one of my children and he thinks now he's on to a good thing. There's a silence. The youngest Dan pipes up. Dad, he's my friend. Ronald Dan says, there was no way I was going to embarrass my son by not giving the ticket. He was asking in his name, in my son's name. That's how God receives us in Christ. That's why we're praying in Christ's name. We're pleading the name of him who gave himself for us, through whom we are family. We come with confidence to our heavenly father who will not withhold what is good from those who are in him. Now, if you're paying attention here, then you're going to be thinking, there's a problem. Or perhaps you're thinking, yippee, this sounds good. This means that I can ask for an upgrade in my transport. I can ask for a Jaguar or a Bentley instead of my Fiat Panda because the promise is there that God will give anything. Ask and it will be given to you. I'm not feeling all that great. I can ask God for perfect health because 
that has been obtained for me in the cross of Calvary. He's healed all our infirmities. And you know, there are people out there, there are charlatans out there on the TV and in other places who actually preach that kind of message. That you can have whatever you want because God wants to give the best to his children. And so you want a better car, you pray a better car. You want perfect health, you pray a better health. And you give me some money for my ministry and God will definitely bless you because you have to to sow before you reap. And of course, that is so dishonoring to God. It's so contrary to the, the sweep of the Bible, the Bible's teachings. It's a man-centered outlook. You know, in our families, go back to the, the, the human situation. Are you a good parent? Are you a good father, a good mother? If you simply give to your child whatever they ask, if they ask continually for coke, when, uh, before they start going to school and you give them coke whenever they want to, to, to drink something, what's going to happen to their teeth? Of course it's not the best thing always to give to your children what they ask you for. And no good parent does. We give to them so often what is better than what they asked. Calvin again says, God answers our prayers by giving to us what we would have asked if we had the wisdom to ask for it. Take the the Bible example of Joseph. Joseph's family situation when he was a a young lad was a mess. Uh, His father showed favoritism and that resulted in a whole heap of jealousy against Joseph. Now you can imagine Joseph praying to God, God, give us unity in our family. Lord, bring us together. All of this this petty jealousy, this hatred, it's getting me down. Lord, give us unity in the family. That's a good prayer. But look how God answered that prayer. God answered the prayer by Joseph uh, being threatened with murder, sold into slavery, betrayed by a jealous wife, put into prison, forgotten about in prison. And only then, after a long wilderness period of feeling abandoned, did God work out immeasurably more than Joseph asked for. Joseph got the prayer he asked for, His family was reconciled in a wonderful way. And a whole people were spared from the famine that took the land. But for a long time, if you'd asked Joseph, is God answering your prayer, Joseph? He would have been mystified. Or he might have said no. But God was answering a prayer above and beyond what he had asked for. Jesus finishes off his words of encouragement, specifically speaking about the Holy Spirit. If you then, though you are evil, notice Jesus takes that as a given, we are sinful by nature. If you are evil and yet you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who's in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask them? 
Now, I want to say that there are two applications here. There's an application for those of you who are Christians. There's an application for those who are not yet Christians. Uh, for those who are in Christ, uh, the Holy Spirit uh, is a reality. It's only by the Holy Spirit that we can have faith in Christ. But his work is seen in different degrees in Christians. Uh, if you're a Christian, you should pray that his work will be seen more and more in you. Which is what Paul prayed for the people at Ephesus. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation that you may know him better. What's Paul praying for? He's praying that the Ephesian Christians will know God more and will know him as their father, will know him intimately as their father. Paul knows that sometimes uh, we find the going hard and we give up hope. We need hope. We need to have the, the reality of our eternal hope set before us. Who can give us that? The Holy Spirit is the one who gives hope. And so we pray. I pray also uh, that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. We need to know our Heavenly Father as our Father. We need to have hope for life. We need power for living. Where do we have power to overcome temptation, to witness for Christ, to live as we ought to? We have power from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit brings the believer power. And so Paul prays that we may know his incomparably great power for those of us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. So here's how the Holy Spirit's ministry works out in the life of a believer. It brings us near to God as our Father. It brings us hope. It gives us power for living. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Here is a request God has said he will always honour. Pray for the ministry of the Spirit in your life and in the lives of your friends. But here's a precious promise for anyone uh, in church this morning who's not yet a believer. You will, you will understand by now that we cannot, we cannot be converted unless God is at work first in our lives. Because even the gift of the, the faith that brings us to God is a gift. So we need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit in our lives to begin the Christian walk. What an encouragement here. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, will not your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Ask God to give you the Holy Spirit to open your eyes, to change your heart, to give you faith. Lord, I believe, the man said, help me overcome my unbelief. It's a prayer God's pledged to answer. Will you pray it? And God will make you new. He'll bring the new birth. He'll bring Jesus into your life. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we are so like the disciples. In fact, we know that we are so much worse than they are at times. We're tempted to give up praying. We say terrible things like God has not answered my prayers when simply we're being impatient. We thank you, Lord, that Jesus comes alongside us with sympathy and encourages us to keep on praying. We thank you, Lord, that we can come to you boldly because you are our Father in heaven. That we can come confidently because you have promised to give good things to your children. And so, Lord, help us to keep on praying with perseverance, not to give up. In Jesus' name we ask this. Amen.